afternoon, everyone. Um, it is 6.32. We have a quorum. There are uh, six of us in the chambers. We are expecting seven shortly. And therefore, we can start the meeting. This is the May 11th Finance Committee meeting. We are continuing our budget hearings tonight, dealing with public safety, public works, and the enterprise funds. And with that, we'll move on to the public comments section. Are there any public comments in the room or out in Zoom land? I don't see or hear any, so we'll dispense with that and move on to the next item. And the approval of minutes. None, they're none submitted, so we'll move on from that item. And uh, the number just arrived. And with that, I guess we move on, Jamie, to continue the budget hearing staff of the police department. Sure, so uh, through you, Mr. Chair, uh, and through you to the committee, obviously we've got a, just a few departments tonight. Um, but before we get started, I just want to announce, because we just did a little while ago, uh, the town of Franklin today was awarded a triple rate, triple A bond rating. Very good. The hits just keep on coming. Uh, you know, I'm actually maintaining inside an obscene amount of excitement, uh, and I'm trying to keep my composure for uh, for Zoomland. But um, you know, I mean, I I saying thanks on behalf of the staff. To be honest with you, seems somewhat cheap. Um, I'm lucky enough every day to uh, work with all these folks, Chris, Carrie, Kevin downstairs in the assessing office, Pam in procurement, Karen in HR, all the department heads do a pretty incredible job managing their budgets. Um, you know, uh, but I can't say enough, particularly for our finance director, Chris, who unfortunately uh, uh, isn't here tonight, but um, and Carrie, Linda, the whole staff, uh, incredible achievement. First time we're aware that the town has ever received the AAA bond rating. Um, so uh, the good news is um, that we've done the hard work to get to the top of the mountain. Uh, and now obviously the hard work comes of maintaining that, just like the fire department with the ISO-1 and the police with accreditation and all the other achievements. But uh, you know, it, it really is, this is about the ultimate organizational team effort that you could possibly think of. There's one person uh, that is employed by the town of Franklin or the Franklin Public School District uh, that did not have a role in getting to this. It's uh, a lot of sleepless nights, uh, a lot of tenacity, uh, a lot of thankless work, um, but um, couldn't have happened at a better time given what we're seeing around the country with interest rates too. Uh, but it's really, I think, uh, we'll get the official bond rating uh, letter and document tomorrow, uh, but just, uh, to quickly summarize, uh, what they really told us was some of the defining factors that got us over the hump. Um, it is clear that very strong financial policies that we actually implement, um, and the, the savings uh, that we have done over the last several years in particular, the general budget stabilization fund, uh, the budget stabilization fund, the open space fund, um, and uh, the fiscal management and execution of those policies and those priorities uh, have clearly were uh, some of the biggest factors in that determination. Uh, not to be outdone by the, uh, the, um, the, uh, the vote of the Community Preservation Act surely was a huge factor as well. Um, when you look at bond rating agencies and you tell them that voters in the middle of 
the worst pandemic in 100 years, still went and voted overwhelmingly um, to, uh, to raise that revenue source as a huge factor. Uh, and the stormwater utility also shows that your legislative body um, has that ability as well. Um, it's really uh, quite an achievement. So I just give a lot of credit to the entire team that's here tonight, finance staff, um, but um, it's also more than the finance staff. It's the DPW, it's the police, it's the fight, it's everybody. Um, everybody has a role in maintaining what we're going through tonight um, and tomorrow, uh, the schools as well. And uh, so it's, a, it's an incredible achievement. So I just wanted to mention that really quickly. And it's great to know that Steve Sherlock didn't even see the tweet with the announcement before he was here. Steve, we beat you on that one too. Things happen. <laughs> so, Hard keeping up with it all. That I know. <laughs> Tell me what. Um, so I don't know if anybody has any questions. Happy to answer, uh, but otherwise we'll move forward. In practical terms, what does that mean in in rate? Is it a quarter point, a half rate? Do we know? We don't know. We don't know. Yeah, it's tough to say. I think especially right now, uh, where you had the Fed board chairman publicly announced yesterday that they maybe waited a little too long. So it's, it's tough to say uh, where the market is. I will say that we're going out to do the um, full borrowing for a couple of the projects, including the open space. Um, and so uh, really couldn't have had better time than this. Um, surely, uh, I know the finance director, I will speak for him because I thought the same thing. The timing would have been a hell of a lot better last year. Uh, but you know, nonetheless, uh, beggars can't be choosers and better late than never. So. Yeah, I was just curious, does that affect any existing debt or that's only kind of future debt that we'll be issuing? I believe it's future. future. Yeah. Okay. One more question. I don't like the ISO one, we were ninth in the state, I think. How many AAAs are there out in our local theaters? Kerry's going to dig that up. I think there's two things that Kerry will find out. One, what's the total number, right, of how many communities? And, and I do expect a fair amount have it. Uh, Dover has it, Sherburn has it, Wellesley has it, Newton has it. Uh, but I'm serious. If you can see where I'm going with this, and 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 so the second question that needs to be kind of looked at is, um, you know, if communities our size and our demographic and our, and our structure. You know how many others are like that. I would expect Amherst is probably a AAA, um, maybe a few other communities, but um, of our size. But we were always told by the rating agencies, um, you know, that you know the previous override failures, um, you know, the size of the community in terms of population, the commercial, uh, industrial that we have, you know, those are all leveling out factors to good things that you're doing. So obviously, uh, the business climate, the ISO one, the police accreditation, all of which were mentioned uh, on our rating call. Um, you know, we'd like to believe, and probably won't be in the document, but I do believe in that um, the call that we have with the bond rating agencies—they heard all that—and um, I think it's contextual information that all feeds into the narrative that our representatives then go to Moody's and S&P with. Um, I joked with the staff that, you know, I'm always cynical a little bit, healthy cynicism, because you don't know who these people are. There's, you know, there's no open meeting law for bond rating agencies. You don't know who you're dealing with. It's just a room full of people you don't know. 
and you feel like sometimes it's just this arbitrary, well, we, you know, I don't know, you know, just whatever. And so I do think that all of that additional information um, and the, um, the robust uh, improvement that we've had with uh, particularly commercial industrial certainly all play into that. Any other questions? Okay, all right. Congrats again. And Chief, I guess yeah. you're up. So really quickly, uh, just through you, Mr. Chair, so uh, you can see right here in Department 210, um, in the FY22 budget to FY23, um, as we commonly state with the police department, 95% uh, plus of their departmental budget is personnel. Uh, they are not a lot of. They are not a department that has a tremendous amount of wiggle room, um, and um, this obviously does not include uh, personnel cost increases uh, for raises that, as we articulated last night, is in comp reserve. So, um, Chief, do you have anything to add? Uh, no, nothing other than the fact that you know we were asked to provide a little service budget, which is what we did. Uh, any of the changes mostly are due to either to contractual things such as step increases or, or, or things like that. We did end up getting another employee uh, around <coughs> April, you know, so that's a difference from the full 22 and the 23 budget. And we made a couple of other changes that we asked the town administrator and thankfully he agreed uh, with all the changes we've had when it comes to uh, especially training. You know, we've had such a major turnover and we have a lot of people in important slots, specialty positions that we need to make sure that they get the training that they're uh, that they're going to need the specialized training that comes with uh, their new positions uh, one thing I noticed is that is the safety equipment PPE stuff no that uh, mr. chairman that that is act safety equipment is a combination of a number of things but a majority of it is the initial issue for new officers when we hire um, if we hire a new officer that's a transfer and doesn't have to go to the Academy it's roughly about Three thousand dollars. If we have to send someone to the academy, it's three thousand for the initial issue, three thousand for the actual tuition to send them. That we have to pay the MPTC, the Municipal Police Training Committee, uh, to send them to the academy. That's the fee that they charge us, and then another thousand dollars in academy-only equipment, such as the khaki uniform that they wear that they'll never wear again once they graduate. Um, so it's like seven thousand. So we have to, you know, we we just don't. We only anticipate two new hires for this year. Um, or possibly, you know, beyond uh, what we have already had, we're starting to slow down with the hiring. Thank you, um, and that's why it's it's seen a major decrease because we we had a, we budgeted for five people this past fiscal year for 22, and we're looking at only two for uh, fiscal 24. Yeah, because I noticed it went from 16 to 33 to 38. Now it's down to 18. Correct. Um, and on the other. Side the net expenses went up because of meetings and conferences. That is, it, it's a jump. Yeah, it's a weird. It's called meetings and conferences, but ninety percent of the money that's in that is specifically for the tuition that we would have to pay to put people into classes that are not uh, run by the state. So anything run by the MPTC is usually at no cost. But if we need to send command staff to specialized training or detectives to, let's say, interview and interrogation, you know, we go through a company called Reed, and it, and it's a week, it's a two-week-long class. You know, you're looking at a thousand dollars, you know, for the class. So uh, that's what meeting and conferences, 90% of the money that's in there goes for, and that's what we boosted up. Not only did we boost up the tuition that would need be needed, but also the overtime in the salary side, so that a lot of times when we send people somewhere. 
we might have to fill them while they're gone for that right. week on, on certain shifts. Okay. Any uh, questions for the chief, Michael? So I'm looking at education incentive pay here. 2020, the number was about $200,000 less, and it's gone up pretty significantly year by year. Can you see, is that a trend, or just what are the reasons behind such a demand? Uh, the, it's contractual. There's an education incentive in the contract, the collective bargaining agreement, um, and the increases represent the, the We've just been fortunate enough that the people that we're hiring, they are, you know, we, we have not every department in the state mandates that you have to have an associate's degree to even get on the job uh, and be an employee. We do. Um, and, of course, we have an incentive, you know, for individuals to, to get higher education, whether it be a bachelor's degree or a master's. And a lot of the individuals that we've hired recently are coming on, you know, with either bachelor's or master's degrees. So it's just literally more people taking advantage of it? It's a combination of the people we're hiring now that are replacing people that left either have a higher degree level already coming in the door or they're taking advantage of it and they're seeking out and they're taking the classes on their own and they're, they're achieving a, a higher degree level. And I go, the town did the right thing, not only in 2012 when they retained it for the veteran offices, but after that there was a split and they basically made it so that the, the, the educational incentive was a lot less of an incentive for a period of time. We were having a difficult, I could foresee that we were going to have as many as we had as far as people leaving. You know, in July, within the next month, I'll hire the 27th and 28th police officers of a department that is right now at 54. When I inherited six years ago, it was 46. So we've replaced more than half of the PD. Knowing that we were going to have that much turnover, there was no way that we were going to be able to sustain our numbers by putting people through the academy. Just wouldn't be able to do it. To send someone to the academy, it takes an entire year. From the time we do interviews to getting through all the pre-employment things, such as psychological exams, physicals, you know, medical physicals, et cetera, to finding a spot for them in the academy is anywhere from three to five months. The academy is six months long. And then when they, when they get out, they have to do a 13-week field training program. You're looking at anything from no less than 13 to as many as 15, 16 months that we would have a position unfilled that we would have to, on, more, more, on a lot of occasions, have to fill with overtime. We went with the route that we're going to try and attain talented individuals from other departments as, as transfers. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you're basically either the market minimum or above. And having an educational incentive that mimics what the Quinn Bill used to be back before it got canceled by the state in 2009 is exactly what we did. I, I went to the town administrator at the time when I became chief and I said, if you don't do this, we're going to be, we're going to be in a bad spot. We will not be able to attain people. We'll be ordering offices to work on a regular basis, um, and our budget will go up dramatically. I'll be coming back basically asking for additional money. We would not make budget due to the fact that we would have to pay out a considerable amount of overtime um, because we had so many positions open and had a, a tough time filling it. I'm seeing it across the state with my peers um, that have the same type of things. Matter of fact, the people that we're getting are the people who their educational incentive is not similar to ours their educational incentive, they decided to do something different when the Quinn Bill stopped and the state stopped paying their portion. Um, 
so I, you know again I, we did the right thing they, they listened and of course those towns that were taking people from are asking what do we do so you stop taking people and <laughs> give them a better educational incentive um, because that's why they're coming they're making more money uh, coming to us they're getting paid for what they, they should for that you know for their education similar to what you know all the veteran officers were getting before um, so that, that's pretty much why we do it Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, just really quick things, Sharon. So to Chief's point, uh, to Mike's question, um, it, it's been many years in the making. Um, Chief's leadership, my predecessor, and town council all have prioritized um, education incentive uh, for a handful of years now, if not more, um, in the collective bargaining process. Um, it's quite frankly. Probably one of the biggest reasons why we have an amazing department is that um, we have really well-trained and well-educated officers. Same thing with the department you'll hear from in a little while. Um, we're going through collective bargaining now, but um, I just wanted to throw that out there that this is a pretty big policy objective um, for a lot of the folks that uh, on the town council as well as the staff to have, uh, to have a good education setup. Not just to take, you know, not just to be that competitive necessarily from just the pay rate, but um, you know, we think that there's a return on investment in terms of public safety as well. Thank you. A quick, quick follow-up to that, Chief, um, to Mike's point. Uh, <coughs> is the Quinn Bill, did the town have the Quinn Bill prior to the, I know the camp, the state canceled their share, as you said, uh, whatever year it was because of budget issues. Some towns that had Quinn Bill picked up the state share, some did. So did Frank, was Franklin under the Quinn Bill at any time? Yeah, they, yeah. I was the union president in 1997 when we got the Quinville. <laughs> uh, that's when we got the Quinville. Uh, we, through the collective bargaining process, we asked for the Quim, uh, the, uh, to basically go through the process to become a, a, a Quinville or Police Career Incentive Pay Program. That's really the official title. People call it the Quinville after the senator. Uh, I think it was Thomas Quinn uh, that ended up uh, bringing it forward. So we were with the Quinville. And through 97 until, two, uh, until uh, 2009, the state fully funded the Quimble through all those years. In 2009, they basically announced that they were, they were not going to be paying their share anymore. So typically how the police career incentive pay program worked was that it was 10, 20, 25% of base pay, a premium above, the, above base pay. Uh, base pay. Uh, and the town was responsible for half and the state was responsible for half. The, the collective bargaining agreement for the town basically stated if the town, if the state doesn't pay its share, then the town is not responsible for it. So that, that's how a majority of uh, the towns agreed with their collective bargaining agreements for the police, that that's how they do it. Um, from 2009 till 2012, uh, the town decided to continue to pay uh, the, the, the full amount. They took up the state shares. They waited for the SJC to actually rule on whether the language, as it stated, the town is not responsible for the state share, if that was true or not. Um, took them three years to come up with it. That sounded pretty, you know, but the, yes, the town's not responsible for it. And that's when there was a collective bargaining. It just so happened that the uh, collective bargaining for the 2012 through 2015 contract came uh, to fruition. And they, they grandfathered in all of the veteran offices, um, but all the new offices that came on, it, there was still a educational incentive, but it was a lot less. And a lot of a lot of department, a number of departments did that, but there was also a number of departments that chose not to do that and continue to grandfather everybody, and then all new employees continue to pay them. And those were the people we were going to be competing with. 
if we were trying to get transfers to come to our department. So a town like Nor Norwood that never ended up giving it up and everybody got it. Um, an individual would be able, my fear was twofold. One, we wouldn't be able to get people, but number two, anybody we got, or if we were forced to put people through the academy because nobody wanted to transfer over, um, that they would work for us for a short period of time, and then they would transfer departments like Norwood and others that were actually giving a similar Quinville incentive because they would have got $10,000 for simply showing up to work you know, over what they were getting with us. And like I said, some of the departments that we've been fortunate enough to get very talented people to apply and then we hire over here are departments that chose to uh, not continue with the 10, 20, 25%. And those people are leaving because they know that, you know, obviously we're paying, you know, there's other reasons too why usually they're leaving quality of, you know, life. Maybe they live in town. We've been fortunate with that as well. Um, but that's one of the bigger ones. Now, does the town benefit? character Quindle in terms of those percentages for degrees like 10, 20, 25, whatever it is, do we have the same percentage or do we have a different way of calculating that benefit? I'm sorry. If you have an associate, you get 10%. Of your base pay. Under Quindle. Yes. Does Tom Franklin give the same or is it a different It's benefit? not a percent, but over the last 10 years, it's, it is it's mirrored what the percent is. In okay. the contract, it is a, it's a it's basically a, a, a monetary amount, but it does equal 10, 20, 25% of base pay. We got, you know, depending on where, where you are on the step system and so forth, but that's what it is. Does this, does this, uh, how does this affect the retention of the police officers uh, or the officers on your force and then um, kind of just keeping these great people that, that we've been, uh, I guess, investing in? I've only had one person transfer in the last six years, um, yeah, and so it, it's it, not contractual. It's really just it's a great place to work, and we've been investing in them, and most people report that with loyalty. I, I, yes, sir. I believe it's a combination of you pay them well, um, and at the same time provide them the you know equipment that they need, you train them, you know, etc. I don't think people are just coming here because we pay well. I think they're coming here for a number of different reasons, um, and and it's it, you know. It, it, you, when you hire as many as we have, they start to talk to their peers at their PDs. They talk to other people during in-service training when they all get together at the same location. Um, and then they start to, you know, our four and four shift, you know, four on four off 10 hour shift schedule, it's not a bad thing either. You know, so all these things combined made it very easy. So my peers are complaining that they're 11 people short. They're nine people short in departments that are 30, 35, uh, which is significant. You know, and, and the morale is, is basically in the dumps because they're getting ordered. The only way they can get a day off is to call in sick, you know, where normally they wouldn't. Um, every time they walk in the door, they know they're doing 16 hours uh, because they just have to, because we have a mandate, it's public safety. You can't just not send, you know, the minimum number of people that have to be out there on the street. Um, we don't have that problem. And they ask why, and I say, the, the, Educational incentive is one reason, the shift schedule, there's a number of different reasons, but. Um, and the other thing too is, when you read about a lot of the things that you've read about over the years, or you see what's going on with police reform and so forth, and I know Massachusetts ended up going along with the rest of the country on it, but have you ever heard, are those issues, those major things you've read about from Massachusetts? Are they from Massachusetts? Are you reading about similar things that like would, would occur with George Floyd and some of the other things that have gone on that have become national news, then it's not for Massachusetts. And the reason is, is that a majority of the agencies in the state had the Quinn Bill continue with the education. So we have a highly educated police force in this state. And I think it goes a long way as to why 
we don't have some of those issues that are occurring across the country here in the Commonwealth. Any other? Just a question of the 27, I think you said you hired? It will be 28 after we hire the next two, okay. in the next month. 28. How many are actual transfers versus cap? Yeah. 24 out of the 20, 26 out of the 28 are uh, transferred. Well, I should say that out of the 28 lots, there are five individuals that came from the academy. Two were individuals that we took off the list and sent to the academy. That would be Amanda Ayer and Andressa Rosa. Um, there are three individuals that I self-sponsored without a position open at the time that we put them in the academy. A self-sponsored candidate is basically, we don't pay, you know, all I give them is a patch and provide them with a cruiser for the five days that they do EVOC, Emergency Vehicle Operations course. They pay for their own academy, they pay for their own ammo, they do not get paid, and they sign waivers that we're not responsible. Um, but these are young people that used to work for us as dispatchers or they're from town that I want to give a leg up because if you have the academy and a degree, you have a good chance of getting hired somewhere. Um, it just, we got very lucky that at the time we self-sponsored them, and I told them halfway through the academy, you better stop putting stuff out looking for a job because I don't have something for you. And then all of a sudden I had an individual decide that they were gonna use a veterans program to go to law school, and they resigned. I had another individual get a job down at the Renton District Court, and so now I'm calling them up saying, I hope you didn't get a job yet because you need to come in an interview. <laughs> and they would come in an interview and we hired them, and that would be Robert Birchall, uh, that would be Victoria uh, McVicker, uh, Derek Tetrault, you know, so we're very fortunate. So they're, they're academy graduates that never worked anywhere, that we put, that we sponsored to go through the academy, that they paid their own way to go through. Um, and again, it was fortunate we, we were able to get them. Originally I told them, if I don't have anything for you, you should be able to get a job in a short period of time. Um, and I would do that for, you know, a Franklin resident or something like that that wanted to self-sponsor. We have a few people in, in, the, in the queue right now that are just, you know, they'd love to maybe work here, but they just want to get into law enforcement. And it's a tough profession to get into at this time. Um, to that point, and we discussed this a little bit, uh, but we did a deep dive a year about the new environment here in the and all the, with the uh, removal of civil service. You get to the point where, and I know it's a time thing, and I guess it's a decision the town has to make, I guess, is, yeah, we're willing to pay somebody a year they go through all these academies where you hire an off the list almost exclusively. And maybe that's a question for Jamie or the council, but you know, you have it in the system that you replace and then you just you have people break through and take the exams and then you just take transfers. I mean, wouldn't you like to get to the point where you can rely on the examination process? I I'd love to. And I and it, like in the budget narrative that I submitted I kinda went into that a little bit where I basically right. ended up explaining that you know, we're only one over the minimum right now, and I can't, we can't really afford. Uh, we've been at full staff and operations, which is the black and whites that you see out in the street, the ones that answer the calls for service when, you know, a 911 call is, is done. We've only been at full staff and operations for two weeks in the last six years. With a combination of people, you know, we have turnover, and people, you know, they, they, they retire, and we're looking to fill their jobs. People that are out injured, you know, they're on either IOD or they, you know, were hurt off the job. Um, COVID, now a number of different things that have gone on. We, it, it has been difficult. And when you only have one over the minimum, it means that you know when one person's out, the next person that's out, we're in an overtime state. 
we need more police officers. That's basically what it comes down to. Uh, the, the way we're operating right now is not, is not optimum. Optimum would be two or more over the minimum so that you can withstand having an individual retire or have somebody out on, on injury or a, multi, a, a, a number of them out at the same time. And it's not putting you in a state where you can't afford to be able to use the list and be down for a period of time to get somebody through the academy and so forth. Right now, I just if you want me to make budget, I don't have that luxury. That's basically what it comes down to. Thank you. Any other questions for the chief? On that point, what's the number that needs to be added to get to the state you just said would be best? I need five more. Five. Five. And that translates to? 59. Half a million. Half a million. Is that the number? Probably depending on how, who, what, where, you know. I mean, it depends if somebody comes in with years of service or whether it's an academy person that's fresh out of school. Benefits, I mean, you just add, I mean, really the benefits are the part that drives it up another 30, 35%. Um, and um, so, yeah, it's right out of the gate. One more thing a Carnet moment, if you will. What would, if, if Jamie gave you all the money you needed retire. <laughs> 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 what would be the magic number of people we should, you as a professional, a good manager, how many people would it be? Since I figured that that would never happen, I haven't really, you know, done. the five more would allow us to do two things. One, with the four-on-four-off 10-hour shift schedule, we currently have a shift because, you, because of the overlaps and the necessity that starts at 1 a.m. and ends at 11. Anybody think that's a good shift? Wellness factor? No. And I'm, I'm trying to big on wellness. I love the fact that they have four-on-four-off. Yeah, you have four days off to recoup from that, but one to 11 is not good. To get rid of that, to have enough to make it so that there's two over the minimum for every hour of the day, some days it would be even more, would be the four or five, you know, four additional patrol officers would, would be able to get us there. Um, the fifth would be to have a second sergeant because of how young we are right now. I have seven sergeants because I moved. I got rid of the admin sergeant and put it into operations. I would love to have a second sergeant because or basically another one, which would bring them from nine to 10, um, so that we would have basically eight in operations that would allow uh, for that overlap so that there'd be a, an opportunity for that sergeant to do both. Basically, that sergeant would be able to help out with the new people and, and put a little more you know, focus on them when it comes to training and on the job and things like that, paying attention to what they're doing. Because you know, even though we take a transfer, as many of them only have a year or two or three years on the you know, experience when we're bringing them on. Um, that would be, you know, I'd be happy with that because I'm not one to look and, you know, I'm not going to gouge. <laughs> and I, you know, and, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm using a realistic number that I know even now is tough. You know, I, I've talked, you know, the town administrator knows, you know, where I am on it, but I follow what goes on in town as far as the finances go and so forth. So I get it. You know, we're very fortunate to be, like I said, six years ago we were 46. Now we're 54. But if you take a town like Norwood, they were at 61, now they're at 64. Norwood's only 29,000 people, jammed into 10 square miles. We're 34,000, spread out over 27 and a half. That's just one example I could give more. One last question. 
do we have we where do we stand on the camera issue the body cams and dash cams i guess do we do any of that have we i know there was some talk i can't remember was the last budget cycle about doing this yeah they all and they're expensive i understand and the, and the the future use of them is expensive you know retrieving storing and all that stuff have we progressed at all in that so I'm not averse to body cameras. I actually believe the body cameras would probably do us more. Uh, it would probably exonerate offices when people come in and make frivolous, you know, uh, issues and stuff like that. So I'm, it, the question and the expense thing is it, what it is. Is it's kind of like I, the analogy I would use is if you have a home printer, you can go down to you know, any store and buy a printer now. They're probably you know they're almost going to give it away. But what do they charge for the ink? And with body cameras, is it's not the it's not the upfront costs; it's the storage. The storage ends up getting extremely expensive, depending on how long the state wants you to potentially end up keeping the footage. Um, and then you've got the issues of the public records law. Somebody could ask us for all the footage that we have for each and every day for the last two weeks. And if you then somebody has to collect all that and put it together to give it to them because we could say no. And if there's any issue, you know, in any of the footage that has anything with the domestic violence incident, we would have to redact the audio that identifies who they are. We'd have to blank out their faces and so forth because Mass General Law says that we can't get that information out. Uh, so there's a lot of different areas like that. The long and short of it is, is that one of the many commissions that came out of police reform is is a, a commission on body cameras. And they haven't come up with what it is exactly that they want. How long do we need to have it? What are some of the, is it an automatic thing that automatically comes on the moment that the office starts to shift? Can they shut it off and turn it on depending on the situation? And so until the commission in Massachusetts declares what it is they want, I don't want to go ahead and spend a bunch of money on something and then find out what we got doesn't equate to what it is that they want us to have. Um, and that's, and I'm not the only one in Norfolk County that's in the same boat. When we go to the Norfolk County Chiefs meetings or even the Mass Chiefs of Police Association meetings, there are a number of departments that are doing the same thing. We're just waiting to find out what does the Post Commission want us to do. I have one quick question, which is a little bit going backwards, and I apologize, it's anecdotal to your, to your department, but Mark, the Jamie question is, the reserve that we talked about on Tuesday um, for the collective bargaining, I know it's hitting all these departments, the one question I didn't ask about it on Tuesday was, what does that represent as a percentage of total comp that's being evaluated? It's a great question. It's not something I can really answer just because we're still in the process of collective bargaining. Um, you know, um, we obviously do some estimates. Um, to be honest, in the traditional fashion, um, depending on how long and when you start a collective bargaining process, you know, it's like the budget's kind of done. There's only so much wiggle room. Uh, I would also note, um, you know, when November comes, before we set the tax rate, as all of you remember, we come back in and do a budget adjustment based on uh, state aid caught, you know, what we get for state aid, what are our revenues exceeding projections, are they are they not meeting projections, right? So the, the fall, in a lot of smaller towns, they just have a fall town meeting. Um, and so it's very similar here, where you can do those adjustments before you have to set the tax rate. Um, I probably, even though it's fairly well known by this point uh, in the trenches, I, I think I'd probably be publicly 
jumping ahead of the gun if I were to say a percentage. Got it. Okay. Um, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. No, that was, that was just my thing was thinking of okay, you reserved at five percent, and it ends up being seven. That's going to trickle down to all these departments, and we're going to see that. And, but we would adjust that in the we kind of see it go across all the things, and then we would look at that. You're saying in the fall meeting and potentially adjust as all the dust settles. Uh, through yeah, I mean, I would hope, I would sincerely hope, and uh, I think there's, despite my uh, healthy cynicism in other ways, uh, I'm fairly optimistic that by the time we get to November, hopefully uh, all, if not most, of the collective bargaining agreements will hopefully be settled. And so then there's some certainty baked into it. They become public records. Um, you know, everybody can see all the details. The chief, the finance director, the chief, myself, we can cost it all out. Um, and, and ultimately, this is the same point that I'm glad you brought up, uh, Natalie, regarding new staff, right? Um, you know, half a million sounds like a lot. It's not a lot. I mean, depending on what way you look at it. When we compare to other communities, there's two big issues that come into the staffing levels. One, the biggest issue is tax levy. All of these towns that we compare ourselves to, Norwood, Natick, Nina, whatever you want to say, they all have a tax levy that is ex exceptionally higher than ours. And that tax levy allows them to adjust for those staffing levels. I would suspect that in, you know, barring any major unforeseen circumstance, we are a maturing community headed towards those areas. What the narrative really is, is what you get in Franklin for your tax dollars is a better level of service than those communities, yet we're getting it for less money. And there's the rub, uh, whether the decision is new staff or investment in the staff that's here. And um, you know that's a difficult balancing act. Um, and it's something that I think we've struggled with uh, a lot. I think both chiefs in these cases tonight uh, have pulled a lot of uh, rabbits out of a hat and a lot of magic tricks to make these things work. Um, but I just, I say it because people talk about comparables and staffing. We do, uh, you know, the unions do, uh, schools do, everybody does. At the end of the day, the tax levy in Franklin is substantially lower than the other communities. And that's why you're seeing, even though the population's the same or, or similar, um, their property values in those communities are exceptionally higher and therefore they pay more money and therefore they get more people in those departments. And I'd say that across the board. DPW would say the same thing. Uh, exactly the same thing. We just, yeah, thanks Bruce. When he does the comparables, we'll, you know, we always say, well, there's 90 people in Needham. Um, and, and, you know, and so that's, that's really the biggest issue. And I think from an employee standpoint and a management standpoint, it's always just a very difficult balancing act of when do you invest in new people, right? More people to achieve some of the chief's goals and, and yet not also cut out investing in the people that are here doing the job now. I mean, that ultimately at the end of the day, there's what the fence is. That's the line of the sand. Thank you. Any other questions? Good, thank you, Chief. Thank you, welcome. Just wanted to say, uh, you know, congratulations to the town got that bomb rating. Yeah. Couldn't come at a better time when we're looking at a new police station. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's okay with you, Probably. Mr. Chairman, the deputies, depending on the line item, whether it's salaries or expenses, I got the uh, deputies here, maybe help out. Absolutely. Any uh, opening? No, for FY23, as you see, we had a, a 
It's a modest increase of 0.4% of the overall budget. We tried to keep everything right in line. The way we were last year, we are pretty successful for the most part in doing that. So we're pretty happy with what we presented for February 23. Could I, um, one thing, and I, this was uh, similar, I think, to a few years ago when you had a line item at the bottom of the salary page for battalion chiefs because you were anticipating promotions and stuff. There are four vacancies at step four on that. For last year's? No, for this coming budget? Those were holding positions because we had vacancies. We wanted to hold those positions okay. as placeholders before we had those people filled. Okay, so retirements? Exactly, okay. exactly. And our, right now, um, as of this Sunday, we will have 55 of our 56. Uh, we'll have almost a total complement. We just recently had our, our unexpected retirement effective yesterday. So that's why we're at 55 right now, but we're hoping to have that position filled by July 1st, so we'll be at uh, full staffing July 1st going into the fiscal year. Okay. And do you take them off of, uh, going back to the hiring issue, your entrance exam? Or you doing transfers also? We we when we have uh, anticipate openings, we post those positions to HR. Uh, for anybody that's uh, interested in coming on the Franklin Fire Department, at that point we find out what we get, whether they're transfers or we get people that um, don't have any experience in the fire service whatsoever. Recently, we've had some transfers, but prior early in the year, we had some people also that we sent to the Mass Fire Academy. Okay. Were they already paramedics when you had them? They have to be a paramedic. To be to okay. come on the Franklin Fire Department, uh, you have to be a paramedic. Okay, great. Um, which is great. Keep that keeps our standard high. A lot of departments around us, unfortunately, um, they have to relax that requirement. EMTs and they uh, get their paramedic once they come on the job. Always a risk. You take those people on if they don't pass that course. It's a two. It's a it could be up to a one to two year course, and the expense they're taking on that expense in that time. God forbid they, uh, that person doesn't pass, they gotta let them go. So we don't have to worry about that. They're all paramedics when they're sworn. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Any other questions for the chief or comments? No, I know you had to ask I have two, actually. I've asked the same question that I asked the police chief. If Jamie had a blank checkbook, what would be the staffing level you would, I'll say require, where would that be? You say 56 now is the Probably 50s. If that happened, I'd probably have to call one of the ambulances to revive me. <laughs> that'd be the first thing that would happen. But um, I would say uh, with two fire stations, uh, the best scenario would probably be eight more. And the reason why I say eight more is that would give us two more on each of the four groups. As you know, the, the, the tower ladder at headquarters is cross-manned with the ambulance. These ambulance calls are going up. And a lot of times, if there's a fire call, that ambulance may be on another call. Both ambulances could be on another call. It could be at Milford, it could be in Boston. Um, then we have to rely on a recall for to, to man that truck. And if that truck can't be manned right away, we reach out to mutual aid uh, to take care of that call. So I guess eight, that way we wouldn't have to cross man it. There'd always be two people assigned to that truck 24 7, uh, 365. That'd be in the perfect world right now with two fire stations. I'll note that if by, by my count, there's 20 some odd buildings in this town of four stories. Um, five or six of them are dormitories, and the rest are primarily apartment houses. I'd hate like hell to have a fire in one of those and have the tower sitting in the station. That would, be, that would just be almost criminal. Understood. Um, the second thing is, um, 
according to the narrative, I think we net did got mutual aid on the ambulances around 160 times in whatever period it was. I don't know, it's the fiscal year or the actual calendar. Has uh, Captain Blanchard ever looked at the lost revenue to surrounding communities? Had we been able to recover that, what, how many people would that translate to? And could that be put into a, an oddball shift of whatever uh, the most, the, mo the busiest times we have, mm -hmm. whether it's eight in the morning to three in the afternoon, what? I don't have no clue. We do have that data. We do. And, and as far as that, uh, we do track that as well. Um, it, it's tough to gauge the last couple of years with COVID. It really altered the numbers. It'll be interesting to see once we get out of post-COVID what those numbers will look like. I know when I've come in front of this body in, in the past, we say we're really just not at that point right now, probably for a full-time 30 ambulance. But what I, we have instituted recently is um, we have minimum manning on each of our four groups of 11 but we have 13 assigned to the group. So we have, we're just implementing now that if all 13 are on duty, we have a second reserve ambulance at headquarters that's fully stocked and ready to go. So if we're at 13, we'll have three ambulances in service. So that's gonna give us the ability to take away from relying on mutual aid, and they will cross man that second reserve, that reserve truck will run third out after the first two go out and we'll have better coverage with the towel by doing that. That's why we'd want them to be the last one to go out after the first two ambulance calls go out. So we're starting to go that way to try to provide the town three ambulances when we have that manpower at 13. Going into the summer, that's probably not gonna happen a lot, vacations and, and leave. Um, but when they do have 13, we just had a couple last week, we were able to put that third truck in for that time period. So it's a good, I think it's a good, uh, we're going in the right direction as far as that's go. As the numbers increase with mutual aid, which we do track, we know the times of the day um, that are uh, most uh, important, uh, that we get most runs, it's all tracked. And uh, yes, we can provide, I don't have that data with me, but we can certainly, we do track that. We got a good guy tracking it. So uh, we're doing good with that. I think I grew up with his dad. Yeah, he's, 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 the best, he's a good person to be tracking numbers for sure. So, Chief, with the um, with this new configuration that you said, of keeping that thirty ambulance available. Yes. So, what's the on, with thirteen? What's the staffing for each station? It's, it'd be eight and five. So, at headquarters, you'd have three on the engine, two on the first two ambulance, a battalion chief, and then if we had that second ambulance, you'd have two more. So, you'd have eight there. At station two, you'd have five, three on the engine, two on the ambulance, okay. eight and five. So, so if a change in the past. Right. Right. And now, if we had twelve. Then we have one station would have an extra one we keep that at headquarters okay. keep that extra person at headquarters and uh one quick question the status of the safer grant mm -hmm. any update on that no i think they may be in peer review right now we submitted uh, a grant for 1.5 million dollars we actually submitted uh four amg grants totaling 2.5 million dollars the 1.5 is for the uh, staffing for the safer and then we put another million dollars in uh, for um equipment portable radios as you know, we're coming in, front, coming in front of you during capital time to get radios, X amount of radio radius. We want to get rid of that. Hopefully we don't have to come to you next year. We did a regional with the Norfolk Fire Department. We put in for a, a, a battalion chief's vehicle. We also put in for some fire prevention props. So it's all under peer review right now. They're doing it remotely. 
and we're really hopeful we've um, we tried hard we did the best we have a, a committee like I've told you before we have a grant committee made up comprised of firefighters and um, since July of 19 we've brought in uh, over three hundred thousand dollars we've got three hundred fifty eight thousand dollars in but fifty of that was from the banks so we're about three hundred eight thousand dollars we brought in through this grant committee um, since July of 19 so that's pretty good we're happy about that we'll continue to be doing that Excellent. Any other questions for the fire chief? Okay. Sounds like good. Okay. Take it off easy. Thank <laughs> 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 I don't know if you're an expert. Thanks. It's dispatch. <laughs> we'll dispatch you first. It's okay. And then it's inspection right, service. Yep. Through the engineer's department 225. Uh, can you shrink that just a little more? There you go. Um, 610,000. I think the finance committee is probably aware that we're in the third year of a five year grant. Um, and in FY25 is when the full amount for the MEC comes back. Uh, unless we find another creative way to get another grant, is what it is. And we're fully, everybody's fully on now. Menden and the uh, other Menden and Mill, Men and Millville are fully integrated, um, and um, you know, uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to mention one thing quickly because Gary Primo mentioned this uh, uh, almost a year ago when we toured the map. So three of us went and. Uh, as you know, it's quite a setup uh, with all the equipment. I think we referred to it as the, you know, the Starship, 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 or whatever. Um, Mr. Primo did say if people wanted a tour again, yeah, you know, we'd work through him. And uh, a summer field trip is always a pleasant thing to do. It's quite impressive operation. Well air conditioned on a hot day. <laughs> Any questions on dispatch? I have a quick question. So it's the third year, so I get it. It was super high, and then it's like 400,000, 400,000, 610. It goes, it goes up 40%. What am I missing there? What are the, what is the increase in the cost, even though we're in the third year? I'm not sure. So, um, so if you look at the FY20 number, that was actually a full assessment. Yeah. Uh, but that was only the first year of the MAC. Like, the, it was, you know, the first full fiscal year after it opened, I think, in May of 2019. Um, and then the next year is when we negotiated the regionalization of two regional centers. And that was about 25% of the total cost. Remember, the costs in the budget go up, whether it's a COLA, staffing, overtime, um, you know, the addition of a holiday, Juneteenth, I mean, odds and ends, right? Expenses, uh, capital equipment. Um, and uh, a lot of that is certainly offset by the State 911 department, but when Menden and Millville entered, it changed the entire formula and saved all of the original four towns a portion of their assessment, which lowered the cost of the overall assessment. The way these numbers are developed is we do we pass as a board the full budget for all six towns, and then uh, we apply for the grant, we get awarded the grant, and then they bill us 50%. So I'm budgeting this year basically at 50% of the total assessment. So if we were not getting this grant, the total cost would be 1.22 million or so. I hope, that I hope that answers that. It does a little bit. I just say I, I get increased cost, but it's jumping at 40%, so that seems high. 
Let me know where you're getting the 40% from. Is it 435 to 610? Is that not 40%? It, it is, but there's a couple factors. So between those two years, number one, the assessment went from 25% to 50%. So we're in, in FY22, the grant was 25% of the full assessment. So you have to take it, you don't do the comparables between years. The 435,074 is 25% of 1.2 million. Got that's what I So in other words, actually the cost of the full assessment is leveled off because of the regionalization of the two departments, yet even though our costs as a dispatch center say went up 2% for COLA among 25 people, and then the other expenses that go along with the bank. So one and two were at 25%, is three, four, and five all gonna be at 50, or we don't know yet? No, the next uh, FY24 will be 25% again. I have no idea why they do 25, 25, 50, 25. I mean, they must have pulled these numbers out of the fishbowl or something. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, don't, I just don't know. I mean, it's, I've never seen anything like that. So, so we'll see it go back down next year. Ne next year we'll be back. We'll take the full assessment again. Probably 1.35 million will be in the budget. It'll be 25% of that. And then we estimate by about FY25, the full assessment, again, pending collective bargaining and a lot of other things, by FY25, the full assessment will come back on, and it'll probably be 1.4 to 1.5 million for Frank. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you for clarifying. Mm -hmm. So we have plenty, you know, stabilization fund to help absorb that big increase up to the full percent. Exactly. In fact, the appropriations um, uh, from the previous years we were able to save, and we have just under a million dollars in the stabilization to phase in for FY25, or maybe FY26. And it's paying on the budget side of the George, anybody else in the pipeline? It seems as though when you add people, they give you better grants. I didn't know. You know, there's still a bunch of town, smaller like Bellingham and Bedway and et cetera. Could they be absorbed? Do, do we have the capacity, number one? We do. We have the capacity for probably another community. Um, and we've talked to them. I mean, this conversation is ongoing with a lot of communities. Um, we have a competitor down the street in Semrec. Um, they're looking for, uh, in Foxborough, they're looking for additional communities as well. They have additional capacity. Um, and we'll just have to see what the future holds. Yeah. Yeah. But there is there is additional capacity at this station to, to, to do that. Anything else? Uh, inspectional services is up next. Gus. Um, Good evening, Mr. Chairman. Forty. Uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, uh, the cost decrease in here, as mentioned on Monday, is due to the fact that uh, the building commissioner's budget, um, up until now, actually, um, basically funded all of the administrative permitting staff on the first floor. And um, the staff have done a great job after transitioning after some retirements. Um, the famous story is for Tyler, you know, started his first day of his career uh, on the day of the pandemic hit, March 18th of 2020. But as they've gone on over the last two years and getting Judy Deemers back and Melissa downstairs, um, everybody's been cross-trained really well by Gus and Brian and Kathy. 
but as time moved on, you know, some of them really enjoy certain things, and so we decided to really separate out the appropriate staff that are working on those departments and the appropriate budget. So when you see Gus's budget go down 100,000, He's an excellent manager of his budget. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's really due to the two administrative staff moving into the health department uh, and the planning department. Yeah, I have a quick question. It's not obviously not a lot of money involved. Um, I didn't see any for 2020, but a seven thousand for silver weights and measures. Years ago, we used to have a stipended position. This is. I've been waiting all year to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> what you get for me looking at old town reports. I told you to wait for Gus. Yeah, wait for Gus. Wait for the building commissioner. But um, how does that work? Because we have that involves going out and checking all the steels and gas pumps and deli well, everything that measures something. Who does that? And where does the, you must be a fee for it. And where does the revenue go for it? Yes. Good evening, Mr. Chairman and the rest of the committee. Um, Back when I started, back in 1998, we actually carried the gas cans to the gas stations and measured them ourselves, and we realized that it was a pretty cumbersome job to do, um, along with all the scanners too, but over the years the scanners have increased. So early on, um, we reached out to Charlie Carroll, who worked through um, the Weights and Measures Division in the state, and he said, why don't we do it for you? So it stayed pretty much consistent with the $7,000 fee. Um, we bring in just about that amount and pay the state that amount. Um, however, they've made some changes. It was a new director that was hired recently and um, we've got to look at that to see how um, we're gonna proceed with that. Um, I don't know if there was any other questions about it that you had, but it, it's always been handled by the state. Okay, that was pretty much my question. Mm -hmm. Actually, does the measurements and what, you know, how much money it costs us to have the state? He must come in the middle of the night, because or she. We never see them. Um, we just see the stamps on the on the scales and the gas pumps and um, um, the scanners as well, and and it's done pretty um, effortlessly too. Do they do they tell the business owner how much what the cost is to do that and they send you the revenue, send the town the revenue, and you send it to the state? Um, actually, the state sends us a bill of the um, scales that they've done. The scanners aren't done every year. Um, I think the gas pumps and the scales are. And um, we get a line item um, bill from the state and then we bill the actual um, um, supermarkets, gas stations, um, what have you. Actually, Franklin, the public schools they're they're done as well. They state have cash registers and so. On. Yeah, they have the state come in and do that as well. Okay. I've just found one of those odd little things from yesterday that you that I'm not going to ask about the fence viewer. Did you say it's just going to ask about the fence viewer? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Who is the fence viewer? I am. <laughs> Sometimes Brutus does it, um, <laughs> whether he likes it or not. Um, <laughs> Do we actually have fences to view? You know, you it, 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 great yeah. question through the chair. Um, it did increase the, re the uh, requirement to be only a building permit for a seven foot fence um, and, and, and higher. Um, anything under seven feet, there's no building permit required. But um, it's mostly, and because sometimes they consider that seven foot fence to be a spike fence. Um, mostly 
it's can I put a fence on my property? We get those type of questions. Um, I'm not called out too often um, on that subject, and it ends up being a private matter, believe it or not. Um, we try not cows to. in this town to be. Sorry? Fenced. A lot of cows to be fenced in. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, we it, it's kind of hands off for us because we don't want to get in the middle of a of a problem, so to speak. Those, those are the two pressing questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, any other questions for the building commissioner? Inspection? I had to do a little fence viewer. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a holdover from like the 1880s. Yeah. Yeah. Look at some old town reports. Yeah. Some big job. Yeah. I think yeah. that's it. Thank you. Chairman, I think one thing to add too. Um, because of the line item changes in my budget, it, it really is attributed to um, viewpoint and our online system as well. And um, that's been uh, uh, saving, I don't want to say the word grace, but a saving grace uh, for us. And it's, uh, it's made a whole bit of a huge difference in our, uh, our operations. Too. Good. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Looks like there's some emergency. Uh, After the run. 45 seconds until the end of the first quarter. <laughs> Animal control. <laughs> that control, I go pretty quickly. Want to uh, yeah, it's just uh, the waiting room. Um, you, it's, this is the assessment for the regionalization of the Bellingham and Franklin Animal Control. We house it uh, here, and they do all the administration, so they send us a bill. Okay. Any questions on animal control? Based on Facebook, they do a great job. I really still, have, you know, I've never gotten a complaint. It's unbelievable. Uh, Brutus, I think you're up next. DPW and enterprise funds. Uh, let's see. Account for 22. One of the great things about Brutus's budget, it's well broken down into divisions. Uh, and I want to note, uh, whoop, there you go. I want to note uh, one change, which you can screw up just a tiny bit more to streetlights. Um, I just want folks to, to know that um, we did the, the streetlight account. It went down, down, right there. Uh, there DBW Streetlight, yeah, that's good. Um, we, we, that used to be its own department. Um, and so that's the one, that is one of the biggest changes this year. We have added in the streetlight account within the DPW, so it's not its own department. Um, and one of the reasons why is the cost has gone down by more than 50% because of the LED streetlight conversion, where now we're really realizing the savings um, through that. And, um, and so we, we merged that into the full DPW. And then the other two big points, uh, number one, uh, as I mentioned on Monday night, we did add in in this budget proposal the two additional ground and highway jobs that were lost in FY22. So that'll give Brutus and the staff more bandwidth. Um, and, uh, and also, as the folks know, just to reiterate, um, the DPW uh, it initially proposed a budget, I believe it was about 700,000 more than what is proposed in here. Um, and that was to conform to the federal stormwater mandates. Um, as luck would have it, um, um, 
federal stimulus money uh, came down from ARPA, and uh, the council enacted recently after many years of uh, community engagement, the stormwater utility, which will begin uh, on people's bills July 1st, 2023. It will take that long for us to set up the utility account and deal with the behind the scenes munis work. Um, but that federal <coughs> stimulus money is allowing us to be able to um, fill a lot of the requirements of the permit for this fiscal year with not having to compromise other services. If that money was not here, uh, uh, Brutus and I and a lot of others would have a lot of other bigger decisions to make. And so uh, that stimulus money is certainly, uh, I think this has shown to be uh, probably the most advantageous for Brutus. And he's the likes to tell me he's got a lot more work to do. Um, but uh, we know he has such a great passion for all this and the whole staff that um, you know they're proud to be able to receive all these funds from the uh, federal government and be able to put them into the, into the town's infrastructure. So, Bruce, any other comments? Files? Speeches? Mr. Chairman, how are you? Very good, how are you? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, my budget is a little more complicated than the other ones that were just mm -hmm. done. By the way, uh, stand-ins at the deep dive were excellent. The what? Your standard just staff who did the deep death with us. Oh, okay. Very good. Awesome. The um, yeah, I'm actually joined tonight. Like the uh, Doug Martin is the water superintendent. Uh, Derek Adams way in the back. He's the uh, stormwater superintendent. Tony Bernetta. He's the assistant highway ground superintendent. Obviously, Carlos Rebello in the far back. And then the brains of the operation is Miss Kathy Morgan. So she's the she's shaking her head no, but I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> she is very brains of the operation. She is the brain. <laughs> Of the operation. Very, very valuable One during this time of year. <laughs> but you know, I, I always just like to say that, it, and I think this year, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, going forward, you know, my budget, we look at these other budgets, the other town budgets for the most part, even the school, pretty much they're 90% personnel costs and 10% expenses. Mine is not that way. Mine's about 40% personnel, about 60% expenses. <laughs> And you all notice we've had a little inflation that we have to deal with. You're all asking me to make predictions on costs that are 18 months out, okay? We try to do our best, you know, we, we have a great modeling system, you know, five-year average and everything else. But I think you know this last year has not been the norm for the last five years. So, you know, going forward, there could, you know, we've always come in under budget um, at the end of the year, but you know, I, I next year is gonna be, it's gonna be tough because of, our, you know, the material costs. I mean, everybody knows, obviously, paying for diesel fuel, paying for fuel, but we got water, chemicals. We, we buy everything, you know, and most of our stuff is a lot of bulk item type stuff, so it's very expensive to transport, and I'm not even talking about just availability of trucks, and it's just, it goes on and on and on. But we made a, you know, a pretty good effort here to do this, and, you know, I was talking to Kathy earlier, I mean, about going through all the numbers, but even on the, the fuel costs, you know, we, we made anticipation of it going up, and then, um, you know, Putin decided to invade Yugoslavia, and so the prices have gone through the roof again. Ukraine, Ukraine. Ukraine I mean, <laughs> Yugoslavia, not yet. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, oh God forbid, no. That's why Kathy's the brain. Yeah. <laughs> but even our seventy-five thousand dollar increase that you know for fuel, we were on the numbers today. We we never anticipated six fifty. Right, right now, what would we say we're paying two fifty a gallon for diesel. Because we had locked it in, you know, from last year's contract, and we haven't been able to lock it in now because everybody's still good with the free market price. 
but we never anticipate six dollars and fifty cents how long that's going to last. So if that happens, even right off the bat, you're looking at another hundred thirty thousand dollars next year going forward. That's that, that's not here. So as Jamie did say, I'm very appreciative we we're able to get um, the two employees that we lost the previous year back. Okay, so we're, we're looking to hire those folks. But uh, going forward, we're going to obviously need some additional additional folks, particularly with stormwater. And as Jamie kind of alluded to, um, it, it's the council uh, did vote for it, so but you know we'll, we'll be able to see some transition into 2024's budget. But right now we're still absorbing all those costs, phosphorus control plan, and everything else that EPA is mandating us to do. So um, that's kind of a overview. Or I mean, our, our budget you know did go up 400,000, but and that was asked to do a level funded budget, but we still had to take 700,000 dollars off that to deal with the stormwater. So um, it is difficult. The other thing that um, the highlight is, and it's not the general fund, but it's in the, um, the water and sewer fund. We are um, looking to hire an assistant staff engineer, another one, because of all the money that's coming down, just so much work we have to do. And obviously it's more economical if we can do a lot of work in-house instead of outsourcing it. So that's one of the, that's one of the good things. So we're, we're gonna try to go out and find a new engineer to help us with the ARPA funds coming and the work that we're doing, so. But it's good. I mean, on one hand, we got a lot of money coming in, but uh, you know, we're moving up our, you know our road water proven plan you know we have a pool of country club we weren't going to do some next year we're doing it this year so uh because of that so it's good you know we're moving stuff forward but it's also going to be it's going to be very taxing on my part quick question speaking of road construction um pine ridge macintosh neighborhood what's the time frame for that um we've already that that contract's already been awarded um i think you know through my philosophy i try to get my contracts out early because um, we tend to get better prices than that. You know, if you're a contractor, you get your jobs early, you're gonna bid better on because you know you're gonna do the, do the year. So um, that job's been awarded. We look to anticipate probably within the next month or so to start on that job. Um, and we actually had a very good price on it. I've, I've actually, I was cynical before because of all the work out there that we're gonna be paying more, but the last couple of jobs that um, we've gotten, we've been right on target with our estimates, which is pretty good. Um, Additionally, um, and I think this, that's twofold. I, you know, I, I think it goes out saying we're good. A lot, a lot of contractors try to work for the town of Franklin. We're a good town to work for. We pay on time. We work with them um, to successful projects. And the contractors that worked for Franklin before, um, they don't work for us if they're not good because I'm not afraid to call bonding companies and stuff like that too. So, but the contracts we have that were coming town, you'll see the same contract repeating coming back because they like working here, even though it's a little bit. Real quick follow up if you don't mind. Uh, How long would that project take? You know, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> yeah. probably knows that. But, uh, Nothing about you. <laughs> well, if you if you give me an extra half a million dollars, I'll make sure I get it all. <laughs> You know, the way the way we typically do, and we've been amount of construction, it's 180 days. So, because I think I've explained before that every time you put a constraint on it, people sometimes like, oh, get them to work at night, or you know, get them to work on weekends. But every time we do a, you know, a job like that, it costs more money. So it's basically a time period. I can tell you the contract's coming in, an excellent contractor. He's gonna wanna get in and out of here as quick as possible. It's, you know, it's a million dollar plus job. Um, but I, I anticipate, you know, 90% of the work will be done by the end of the summer. Okay. You know, but then they'll be, you know, they always have to touch up the loaming and, you know, you know change order type stuff. A lot of school buses. Yes. Yeah. 
but a lot of that is what I do say. You know, you never know about materials. I mean, that's not a big materials job because I mean, asphalt's available. It's just you got to pay for it. But you know, it's not like doing the water line jobs where you know we're waiting on um, duct line pipe or different fittings and stuff like that. So uh, it should go. It should go rather quickly because they want to come in. They want to get out and they, they want to get paid too. Any um, questions for Bruce? George, two quick ones. Um, I noticed the snow budget is almost the same as this year. It went up a little. The new one is 1056.5. Yeah, if you go. Um, it was about the same. It is. If you go back to. Uh, is this still the five year average? Kind yeah. Of? If I don't think I got page 64 listed, Jamie. I'd stay the same stuff. It's not paying attention. <laughs> no, I'm looking at it. I'm reading oh, this. Oh, okay. Complicated number. Um, it's, Brutus, it's 7879. Nope. Oh, I, oh, oh, on my sheet that I turned in, we had a little example. You're, you're all, yeah, oh, you're, okay. you'd, you'd have to talk about that. Yeah, town administrative budget. So yeah, this year we did uh, basically over 1.2, which is above our average, but then if you go back to 220, it's 679. So we're still kind of in that give or take million dollar range. You know, and this, this year we, uh, it was interesting, you know, we did have um, 44 inches of snow. We were a little uh, less than what we say is our average, but I think as you know, um, the storms with the guys loved was, and the managers hate, that they're all on weekends. Because they're all getting paid, we're not. And, uh, and they were long duration snows, and then we had a lot, we had to do a lot of salting operations. I think I told you before, our salt prices, or I put it out there, the year before they were $45 a ton, give or take, and they went up to $65. So, was, so you know, that just increased with a bit. But, but yeah, we're kind of keeping them on this. Buy salt already this year. Anticipation of the next. Our salt dumps are full. I started that practice when I first got here. Because I first got here, they were empty, and we started off the snow season a deficit. So the first year is here. We took the hit. So when we end off the um, the springtime, our dumps are full for the following year. And every year, it's I, salt has gone down through the years. I can't lie. Sometimes we pay more, but typically it does go up. And the other question is. is is the weed guy back? The weed guy? Yeah. No. No weed guy. Um, that was one of the ones I had to cut last year, you know, because of the storm water. That, um, that's about 60-something thousand dollars a year. Um, so we don't have, we don't spray the roadsides. It, it was noticeable. It wasn't it. That's just personal opinion. It, yeah, it was, you know, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword for me because on one hand it's, um, it is noticeable and it does keep the town looking clean. You know, a lot of folks in, you know, in some businesses will take care of in front of it, but you know, the one I always think of is Pond Street, the section of Pond Street over there, the, way, the weeds would grow up, or sections of Lincoln Street, uh, the weeds grow up, they're, they're very, very noticeable. Uh, but there's also, you know, there's a lot of good arguments out there too. It's, uh, you know, pesticide management. I mean, you know, putting a Roundup and, uh, you know, for pollination of bees and stuff like that, some things have shown. So, you know, it, 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 it kind of, it's always one of those balancing acts. I, I, I understand both sides, but uh, ultimately it came down to money. You know, $60,000, and you know, $60,000, that's a DPW employee at the end of the day. So I, I'd rather have a DPW employee down there doing, taking care of Del Cart and fixing other things. So whatever it might be. The high class we record. Yeah. <laughs> Community service. Um, any questions for Bruce? 
Uh, Mr. Helen, I have a question for us. Uh -oh. um, I will say on the notice, uh, on the somewhat on the uh, area that you were touching upon, George, last summer, sometimes the weeds grow faster than we can keep up with them, whether we have people or, or stuff like that. Last year was was a, a very wet summer, and there was a lot of overgrowth throughout all the community, and that did lead to us um, investing a small amount of money, um, which has been asked by several individuals, including the council, but also others in town, to try to, as Brutus pointed out, try to maintain some of the trails. Um, we have not gotten into master planning out the Maple Hill property yet, in terms of what that might look like in trails. But we're trying to make a small investment in that now, anticipating hopefully in the future, as Maple Hill becomes more defined about what the use will be, where the parking might be, and the trails. Um, you know, we are going to try to work on one of the things I know Carlos is going to work on um, is trying to develop a volunteer corps. Uh, I've worked in a lot of state parks, and I worked for the state parks agency for many years, and they have these things called friends groups. And um, they're extraordinarily effective. Um, and one of the things that Carlos and others have said to me is, why does this always have to be me? <laughs> and it's true. And it really is true. I mean, I've seen some active communities out there, the rail trail systems in Acton, the Bruce Freeman Trail, all these systems have these extensive volunteer and friends groups. And so I hope with the addition of Tony, to the staff and others, they can try to engage the community with a Friends of the Delcard property or something of that sort to try to share a little bit of the maintenance of the trails, which last year really were seemingly overgrown. And it's just something where it just feels like we're the only ones trying to take care of it. And we know that a lot of citizens are willing to help. Um, and so we hope over this fiscal year, we can try to get some of those uh, initiatives going. And, and I, would, I would like to add that, um, you know, I, I could say three success, success stories in Franklin about what Jamie's talking about. First would be the, would it be the dog park. You know, we, we did put that up and a group of people came forward and they basically said, you know, we're gonna take care of it. And we helped, you know, we, we dropped mulch off and do stuff like that. And it was one time, six years ago, the dog poop wasn't getting picked up. I walked the gate. That lasted three days. And then everybody came back and fixed it. The same thing would be um, the vegetable mm -hmm. um, garden up at, um, uh, King Street. You know, we built that, established that, but you know, it's all it's all self maintenance right now. We we don't get involved in that. And the other one would be the uh, the frisbee disc golf course. That if um, you know, we built that. The town invested money in that. It's, you know, it's popular to a lot of folks. But I can tell you, we really don't go out and do work out there. You know, that that's their responsibility, and they take care of it. And and it's you know, part of me on the users. I have to you know, just the other day, as Jamie said, you know the. You know the conservation commission tell you can you do this i'm like no I, I i can't take care of what we have now so i have to say no to certain things but we are looking at it and we're looking at different ways to try to get things done okay, anything else we spend more time on the sale or waste and measures than the still <laughs> <laughs> enterprise funds. yes we do So, uh, through Mr. Chair, so the three enterprise funds uh, that in FY24 will turn into four, uh, water, sewer, and solid waste. The water budget now reflects um, the full payments for the uh, water treatment plant um, and the um, sewer. Oops, I'll get one more. Sewer. 
you want to go through the one department at a time, Mr. Chair? Do you want to ask if there's any questions on water first? Sure. I'm just trying to pull it up on my screen, but while I'm doing that, are there any members of the committee who want to talk about the water enterprise fund? When does the, uh, the save water right uh, uh, conservation plan? Not the ban. Plan, 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 plan begin. Um, Memorial Day, just just after Memorial Day weekend. Once again, we have most communities have to go into their conservation plan or water ban, as they call them. Uh, typically, they have to start the first of May and have to go through the end of September. But because of uh, we have the one day week water ban, that we have we have like a very unique permit within the state, so we actually get a little more leeway, so we can start uh, in May and then uh, basically Labor Day we go through. Oh yeah. So we just found out we had a level one drought. Through you, uh, Chair. Um, so we just found out that we're under a level one drought right now. Uh, the southeast region is uh, just declared uh, today, this afternoon. So um, probably starting tomorrow, we'll try to get out the notice. You know that we need to start our water conservation uh, restrictions, and that's through our permit. So whenever we trigger trigger a level one. Uh, we have to start our restrictions earlier. Uh, otherwise, we would have started uh, June 6th. The first Monday after uh, in June is generally when we start. Yeah, I saw the June 6th yeah. application. But we're going to move that up. a little sooner, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. Three of you. Just so the public is aware, because uh, I'm sure there'll be some chit chat, uh, this is not the town's decision to declare a level one drought. It's true. The Secretary of Environmental Affairs. In a former life, I actually uh, participated in writing the drought management <laughs> plan, and it's a level one drought. And so this, the state is for those out there who don't like this idea. The state is is basically asking us for an additional month uh, while we haven't had a lot of rain um, to uh, to have the water conservation plan. Correct. Wasn't Doug Martin. They're not well, asking. Ready, right? <laughs> yeah. They're not asking. They're telling. They're telling. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. <laughs> it's a good point. <laughs> but it's, I will say, um, on the water conservation, um, Doug and I were able to go up to uh, Fort Devon yesterday, and we uh, received a DEP award from also from EPA. The town of Franklin was recognized for our water conservation program in the state. It's a very esteemed award to get. Um, they don't give this out to everybody. They don't give out to many people the fourth time I think we've won it since we've been here and um, you know that's a reflection of you know not just the, uh, the the infrastructure that we've put in town that's been financed by you folks and, you know in the council but I also say it's a community award because it's you know not just that we have you know unaccounted for water and we're really good in our average daily use but it goes to you know finding our uh, environmental stewardship and that that takes the whole community you know, we, we can put out all these conservation plans if we want, but if the folks at home don't follow it, those numbers don't go along with it. So I think you all know we've been doing this for a long time, and people understand the brown lawns of Franklin. We go along, they, you know, the, the residents do a good job with it, and, um, yeah. and it was noted. So it's, it's a pretty cool thing, and we were pretty proud to get that. So. Great. Excellent. Any more questions or comments on water? Next uh, division. Uh, so Department 440, the Sewer Enterprise Fund, um, as everybody knows or should know, the predominant cost 
in that budget is for the uh, Charles River Pollution Control District. Uh, I'm sure Brutus and Doug would agree there's really not enough words to uh, describe how incredibly well managed the Pollution Control District is. Liz Taglieri and, um, and her staff are um, incredible at what they do. Uh, I've even joked with her, I wish I could sign her up for a contract for life. Um, why? Because Brutus and Doug and I get a notice usually every March um, that the assessment is lower than what we thought. And I don't know how they do it. Um, you know, uh, I just don't know how they do it. Um, but they've got a great team over there. Um, obviously, looking out to the future, Mr. Chair, um, good old Beaver Street Interceptor. Um, Council has uh, authorized their requisite uh, funds. Uh, to Bruce's point earlier, I think the cost is going to go up. We'll probably be looking for a revision to that number so that we can formally apply for the SRF grant um, later this fall. Um, that's not only critical to get the project moving and to get the SRF grant, but we wouldn't have to wait a whole nother year. But also, we are actively a housing choice community at 1.5% interest rate. Um, automatically, a one and a half percent interest rate on $28 million is pretty good. Um, and now with the bond rating status, hopefully uh, any incidentals will be better. Um, and the last thing I'd say is, you know, as we move forward with all this infrastructure money that Brutus is talking about, I mean, um, you know, next year there'll be probably another round uh, through the county, et cetera. As we move forward, you know, maybe some of that county money uh, can be offset off the bill of the, the interceptor and stuff like that, but it's just too early to tell right now. Um, the key decision moving forward is really the interceptor, I mean, the SRF grant, right, Bruce? Yeah, as Jamie said, the, the council did authorize 24 million. We're gonna have a final number, it's due by us the, pretty much the end of May that we have to review with our consulting engineer. And we're anticipating just because we've been working on those numbers, it's, uh, it's, it's gonna go up, hopefully not too much, but then we have to present that to the councils too, because we have to, if we go to the SRF, the council has to make the appropriation, they're gonna back it up before we can do it. But as Jamie said, it's very timely to, to get it in there on time. Timely on time. But, uh, better way to say that. But uh, yeah, it's it, it, that's a pretty big project. <laughs> Biggest one Franklin's ever done, infrastructure right. wise, by far. Yeah. George? Uh, <clears throat> if I remember correctly, Long time ago, this, when was Charles River established? Early eighties. Yeah, I think it was nineteen eighty-six. It's finished. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And they just um, did the, the retrofit. What five years ago, Bruce? The retrofit. Yeah. Five years. We own ninety percent of the capacity <coughs> at Way Ten originally. Um, that's pretty much. I ask is I stumbled onto um, looking through Facebook the other night, the Medway Selectman, and that was a discussion that they were waiting. Additional capacity for us. I, yes. I heard a little bit of the conversation. Is is it still 9010? Because I know Bellingham has some, and Millis, I think. Millis has some. Yeah. So, what, it's, is, it's, is there a capacity to be able to sell it off? And it's a trick. It's it, a sell it. Well, we have we, we have sold it. The capacity. Um, it was 9010. Right now, it's uh, I think we still own 76 percent, give or take. Um, our biggest um, outlook is we never we never have to use that much, but we also be very caught, you know, because just efficiencies and the way things have changed. 
but uh, we also have to look out for the town of Franklin because I'll tell you what, you know, the, that plant's design, the EPA is not allowing the plants to do any more volume or capacity, so it's very limited. So we want to make sure we have to, we constantly do a study and balance of where we're at. So yeah, we, uh, we some has been sold to Medway, some has been sold to Bellingham, some has been sold to Millis. Uh, Medway has been actively uh, seeking uh, some more capacity. And that's one of the reasons why um, actually our costs have gone down because it's, a, you know, it's, it's a percentage wise, but it's also, they also track the volumes that come in, not just the liquids, but the heavies. So um, I, Medway and Millis, particularly, they have not done very well with what's going on. So they're, they're actually, their costs have gone way up or, you know, per gallon, whereas I've gone way down. I mean, like, once again, I can document over the last uh, 15 years, we've reduced the amount of volume going to the Charles River watershed by tightening up our system almost 600,000 gallons a day, which is huge. So if you don't send it there, it ain't treated, you don't have to pay for it. You follow me? Mm -hmm. So and a lot of that was clear water because our pipes were leaking, it was acting as a drain pipe. So um, that, that does help. Um, but yes, they are, they are looking, because Medway is at their limit. They're actually, they're, they're getting to a point politically, it's, they, they've actually started tightening up their system, but uh, Liz is gonna be uh, in the position that if permits come forward, she's gonna say, no, you don't have the capacity. Okay, translation, essentially they won't be able to build anything else. Yeah, and how do you think that goes over politically if you're a Medway selectman? Oh, gee, I just got this nice factory to watch. Come to town and pay taxes. You know what? We don't have sewer. That does not go over well. So they got two options. They tighten their system up or talk to us. I mean, the INI is probably the biggest deal. Yep. Uh, they just simply have to do a lot more. They are investing in a new water treatment plan. I believe it's been delayed. I can't remember the status of it due to the pandemic. But, um, you know, on the same end, you know, we are neighbors. We are in this together. Um, you know, this isn't a hostage crisis. Um, they did, we did receive a letter from DEP, the entire district, a year ago. Um, and kind of on their own, DEP sent a letter saying, that's it. <laughs> For the whole district. What you got is what you got. You should not expect another drop of capacity authorized under the law. I, really, they, they didn't even give a timeline, so we took it as in perpetuity. Um, and so uh, they're going to have to make some decisions over there for sure. At DP or EPA, you know, like these huge sewer treatment plants, I mean, yeah, they have to done, you know, the right locations and stuff like that, but there's other technologies they'd rather use. I mean, think about it, they'd rather use, um, you know, packet treatment plants that puts the water back into the ground instead of, you know, going down the Charles River. You know, that's just a better thing. It's actually, it's good for us because we're a groundwater community. So they, they like to keep the water you know, the environmental groups don't like that the sewer water from Franklin goes down to Charles River and to Boston Harbor. They'd rather they keep it up here. So that's overall the way EPA looks at things. So if you said that, oh, gee, you want to you know, increase the capacity of our plant by 2 million <coughs> gallons a day, the environmental groups are going to say no to that. They do not want that. But that's politically could always change. <sighs> Anything else on sewer? Nope. Uh, stormwater budget, solid waste budget? I'm not, not yeah. stormwater, I'm sorry, solid yeah. waste. Uh, through the to the solid waste, department three, uh, excuse me, 434. Um, as you can see, the, again, the main expense line item in there is really uh, curbside pickup, recycling. 
uh, nominal amount of, uh, of uh, personnel services. Um, and, uh, overall, we're looking at a slightly lower budget uh, than last year. Um, it, this is again to Bruce's point earlier. Most departments are all in-house personnel. Here's a here's a market-based service that is very difficult to predict. Um, and given where we were about three years ago, Brutus, I think, with the with the China issue. Um, you know, all things being said, somehow the budget has kind of worked itself out, um, despite the huge ups and flows in the trash market as well as the recycling markets. Mr. Wedge, put that out, Jenny. I think in the past we were able to do it. We see between the recycling portion and the trash trucking portion, that two million four sixty-seven. They're different numbers. Oh, are oh, you looking at Bruce? Do you know the like the percentage of each? Yeah, a whole lot. I think if you look at the expense line item, you see one's contracted services, which is waste management. Did they get both of those line items, Bruce? They do. Yeah. But we have a broken out. There's a contracted services and another contracted services. Right. Those that you can check out. Where's Derek's going to? Derek's going to crush us all. He's going to explain it right now. Yeah. You got the sheet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know I got it. It's about six hundred thousand dollars for wheel operator and about one hundred ninety thousand dollars. That's right. For I'm sorry. Approximately $600,000 for wheel operator, which is our incineration for our trash, okay. and $190,000 for our recycling, Recycle America. It's important to note the recycling, as Jamie alluded to, when they stopped, we stopped doing it, they stopped taking the commingles basically in China because of contamination. Our prices started to creep up a week. You know, there was a time we were actually getting paid for recycling, and then it started to creep up, and then actually COVID hit. And actually went way up because all industrial a lot of industrial stuff stopped but we're actually doing better now we're actually uh, we're not making money on it again but we're not paying out $35 a ton to get rid of it there was a time it was almost <coughs> over 60 and I think I told you that communities up in New Hampshire because they're not regulated like we are by we have to recycle that's required by the state but New Hampshire there's community that was doing commingled like we were it was cheaper for them to burn it than to recycle it because that's how that's how high the costs have gone, um, but that has since changed, and you know we're, it's come down a lot. I'm not going to say very favorable. Yeah, we've been doing pretty good, which you'll hear about the next time. You know, once we get our final numbers, and for this year, we're looking at you know when we adjust our curbside collection fees, because that's you know hopefully we can we had to raise the last couple of years, but we might be a little lower this year. I don't know. So we'll, we'll crunch all those numbers in the fall. So, a quick follow up if I can. Um, so, whale operator, the cost you that quoted was for the whale operator contract. Correct. So, about uh, 900000 total, about two hundred for recycling, and the 688 for trash. Is that how that works? Trash just goes to wheel operator. Okay. So, what's the 198 Just uh, for recycling processing. Okay. So, our recycling goes to Recycle America and Avon. They separate it there. And then what they do is a commodities-based market. So each product, if, if you can consider a product, is then uh, broke, separated, broken down the market value. It's an incredibly opaque system. It's not easy. I basically get a report and review it, but I have to largely trust the report that they give me. Uh, and recently, we've been getting some much more favorable rates than what we've seen over the last couple of years. So the expense line item, which is what I originally focused on, the 2.4, and I see it broken down here, other contractual 
contracted services, printing and so forth. What's the bulk of that if Whale Braid and Recycle America only make up like 900,000? That's like actual collection services? No, that's just, a, that's, that's just to get rid of it. The collection is two something. Hauling? Yeah. Oh, it's about 200,000. Oh, sorry, no. Uh, two million. Yeah, two million. Two million. Yeah. That was my question. So yeah. that's actually picking those. That's actually the labor picking it up and hauling it to those places. That's the bulk of it then. And then Wheel oh, yeah. is about 700,000. Yeah, Wheel Brader, we have a, you know, because we're one of the first contractors up there, so we have a fixed price with them. So we kind of, it's going up, what is it, going 2.5 or 300 percent of the year? Yeah, mm -hmm. Something like that. So we know those prices. Our recycling is totally volatile, as he said, and we also know our costs associated with the actual pickup. Right. So um, the, the, the big indicator here, like personnel's fault, mm -hmm. so the big thing that's changed is budget ha has been the recycling. Right. Which overall is still not a huge item in the budget, that, that Recycle America. <coughs> it's not, but if you look at it, we pretty much have, what do we have, like 9,600? Customers? Yeah. 9,600. Yeah, I'm actually pretty good at remembering these things. Um, not that it, but so you figure you, you you do say that, but for every dollar, you know that's that's the curbside pickup. So when we start looking at these numbers that they go up, we break that you know say divide it by ten thousand know, dollars. that's an extra dollar we have to charge. Or if we save ten thousand dollars, we can take a dollar off. So when we always look at it doing like the four dollars. I think it's forty thousand dollars either way. That's going to affect you know what we try to do is. You know, for our quarterly billing, so it, it is significant. Not to downplay, but so it and it is so volatile. That's why it's tough sometimes. Okay. Any other questions on uh, any of the enterprise funds? I think that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you. you yourself. The next item is future agenda items. Does anybody have anything other than what we uh, talked about Tuesday? Great challenge. Couldn't have done with you. I think I sent everybody the podcast that Steve did with Perry and Chris Sandin, who's online tonight. Uh, I'd like to have, I'd like to do the podcast here at some point. That was as informative as it is. Having been in the banking world and actually had a municipal <laughs> office working for me, I didn't know a lot of the stuff we talked about. That. I can't remember whether we've done it. Have we done We've done, uh, we had Chris and Carrie in for debt and borrowing practice courses. So we did have them in maybe a year ago. Yeah, just yeah. one more time. So yeah, we, I was going to make a recommendation. I'll, I'll save it for uh, maybe the June meeting that we got, we set those, all those apartments, deep dives up on a, like an every two or three year basis. Because there's been up turning over. The five of us are in the first term. Five school committee members are brand new. There's new counselors too. So. Is it something you said? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they just, want to get uh, the second half. And just, yeah, they, uh, 54, 49, half time. Uh, 47. Uh, 47. Um, uh, we can add them back in, or we'll, we could just put on the agenda uh, Steve Sherlock's podcast <laughs> and hit play. Put the mic on Listen to it. It's. It was very, very well done. Okay. Very well done. Um, any other future agenda items? If not, I'll entertain a motion to adjourn. So moved. Second.
Second. Motion's been made and seconded. We do not need a roll call for this. All in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? The ayes have it. Good night, everybody. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tin Type Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.